Welcome to the Medical Receptionist Network podcast show. I'm your host, Siobhan Atkins. Join us as we discuss the importance of clerical and administrative roles and their impact on the healthcare industry. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Medical Receptionist Network podcast show. I have a very special show in store for you today. I'm in Maryland with the Rockville chapter of PACOM. We are going to have a roundtable discussion, which includes topics of front desk staff, management and administrator concerns, provider communication, and upcoming trends in healthcare. So we're going to start with introductions. Hello, everyone. Hello. How are you? Super deeper. All right, Coley, we'll start with you. If you could just let us know uh, what you do and what uh, specialty you work for. Um, my name is Coley Bennett, and I am an executive compliance officer for Lansing Therapeutic Services. We are mental health, behavioral health, and opioid cessation. Sounds like fun. Yes, absolutely. Marcus? Uh, my name is Marcus Washington. I also work for Lantern Therapeutic Services. I am an executive office manager uh, at Polisev. We do mental health, um, psychiatry, therapy, opioid cessation. I pretty much get all the opioid cessation clients. So. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how much fun it is for me. Okay. <laughs> All right. My name is Niwande Gideon, and I'm a registered nurse. Mm-hmm. I work um, at A Plus Medical as a practice manager, and I've been there since the beginning. And I'm about to like hire a, a <laughs> office manager right now. I'm a senior one. Okay. Right. Okay. Job connection. My name is Ariel Hester. I'm a practice administrator for Maternal Fetal Medicine Associates of Maryland. We're a small private practice located right in Rockville, Maryland. We treat women during their pregnancies. We often see high risk, but we see some frequent pregnancies too. Okay. All right. Irene? Hello, everyone. My name is Irene Ahizimone. I work in A Plus Medical. I am working at the infection. I coordinate um, procedures and providing, ensuring that the procedures are done with the Oh, wonderful. Becky? My name is Becky Moore. I work at Carolina Medical Center and the Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Center. I'm a patient account rep and I'm a Wonderful, wonderful. What a great group. <laughs> I, I appreciate you guys. Um, this is our first round table and so we're going to get started. I'm going to throw out our first question and feel free to jump in and um, let me know your thoughts. So. When reviewing resumes for your potential hires, when you come across someone who has no healthcare experience, what would make you consider them for the position? I can speak on this one. I just recently hired someone and I went outside of the box for my front desk reception. I often use Indeed.com for hiring. I really like that because you're able to, you know, to mm-hmm. set questions up for what specifically you want for your group. What I saw was I was seeing all of these great resumes come through, all of this experience, but I was not getting the right candidate. And I was, you know, having them in a couple of weeks and just seeing that these people are not working out for me. Went outside the box and I, I told my team, I'm going to go for someone that doesn't have experience mm-hmm. in medical or who has customer service experience. Absolutely. Someone yes. that I see has moved up within the jobs that they have. Mm-hmm. So I know that they're trainable. Mm-hmm. I know that they have some things that they can bring to the table, and they don't necessarily have to be in the same exact position that we've all been in and see what they can do. And the girl that I brought on was exactly that. She was someone who had bumped up and up and up, and her old company 
which was an oil distribution, nothing to do with medical. But I saw that she was able to move up. She came in for her interview and she showed me, I am an eager learner. I want to go into the medical field. I, I will take the pay that you're offering me. <laughs> right. Let me get my foot in the door. Right. And to see that determination, I was so excited. It's been three weeks now. And I can't tell you how happy I am to have this energetic person come into the office and customer service skills are on par. So Can I right, that's right great. Back yes, definitely. There's a person at this table that used to be the guy who changed my oil at Valvoline. And flip the case of the that Taco Bell. You're absolutely. <laughs> right? He makes a mean taco, but his customer service was so excellent. You know, um, these are not jobs where people are generally happy. You know, right. he got burns from the oil and, you know, but he was always smiling, always had a cheery word, even when I was not paying attention because, you know, I work all the time. Mm-hmm. When I'm sitting in my car trying to get my work done and, and he's, you know, with the thousand watt smile of his going, are you ready? And I'm like, window up. <laughs> not ready for all that today. And then I saw him at the, the window at the Taco Bell. I'm like, how many jobs do you have? And it wow. dawned on me, here's wow. a young man who has all of the customer service component, but has not been given the, the opportunity to kind of grow into uh, an executive level employee. So um, I went back to my doctor. I told my doctor, I said, listen, this guy is just tremendous. He changed oil. And he's like, you don't want somebody with experience? I said, no, because I don't want to spend all my time unteaching you the mm-hmm. things that you learned wrong. Um, and it's so much easier to build from the ground up if he has a customer service skill. So um, the interview, you know, he walked into the interview and he smiled and doctor was like, I like him. We'll keep him. <laughs> and then here he sits. That was how many years ago, Marcus? Four. Yeah, four or five years wow. ago. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. That's great. See, there's so many success stories in, in the starting of mm-hmm. your, you know, healthcare career and front desk is one of the only areas where you don't necessarily have to have another degree or you know you can grow obviously while you're in it but it's something where you can take your customer service and rise on up um so we kind of touched on the next question what are the skills and quality what skills or qualities did you see in a receptionist after you hired them to help confirm you made the right choice does anyone have any other um qualities to add to that any qualities or skills I think the ability to deal with, um, especially in our line of work, irate people. Um, and it's usually for us, not our patients. It's usually the family members of the patient who kind of live through, you know, being as supportive as they can be. Um, and this is kind of their final straw. Um, so they come in and they're loaded for bear. And they're like, what do you mean? I got to fill in paperwork and, you know. But there's a certain type of person that can, in the face of that, be so comfortable in their own skin, not take any of that personally, and they don't carry it with them into their next pass or later on into the day, and they're like, okay, you know, please fill in the paperwork, let me give you a pen, let me give you a bottle of water, just try to make it a little bit better for them. Right. And I think that particular quality is not something that you can learn in schools or that kind of thing. It's something right. that you're born with. Definitely. Yeah, I'm going to give you back into what she said, too, because I have one of my medical assistants do that. Because we deal with a lot of phone calls. Sure. A lot of phone calls, a lot of paperwork. And she always does it with a smile. Mm-hmm. Even no matter how stressful it is, the other person that sits next to her is always stressed. Mm-hmm. But she always has a smile on her face. She always goes the extra mile. Yeah. So 
all those qualities um, matter. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, so let's talk about our seasoned medical receptionist. So what is a piece of advice that you would give to them to keep up with the changes that are taking place? Uh, you know, things come at us pretty quickly, insurance changes and different policies and things like that. And sometimes we get set in our ways after we've been somewhere for uh, a long period of time. So does anyone have any advice for someone who has been there for a while to kind of... I do. Okay. Um, the best advice would be to get out and meet people. Learn from their experiences, share your knowledge, take in their knowledge as well. I mean, even though you might have reached your peak or what you think is your peak, you never know until you learn something else. Definitely. That's a great point. Getting out to meet people and hopefully with Medical Receptionist Network, we get people to meet each other because you don't, you know, have that opportunity as well. Um, and when you're dealing with, you know, older people, younger people, you know, people that have been, maybe they worked in one specialty for 20 years and then they start, you know, in another, you have those different differences that are hard to come back. You know, sure. let's talk about mistakes. What are some of the most common mistakes that you have witnessed by your front desk staff? We're going to be here all night. <laughs> We're going to be here for a long, long time. Touching on, uh, let me talk on professionalism. Mm-hmm. Um, to the clothes you wear, the, you know, mm-hmm. how you dress, how you um, to how you talk to the patients. Especially See, on the phone. Somebody might be coming in from a hard day. They're coming into the office and they're not going to get, and you meet them with what they give you. You know, so that's just one of the mistakes. Mm-hmm. And they give it to you right back. Right. You know, right. you rather walk out of the cookie back, come in online, something like that. So right. Those are the mistakes that you make. I think that one of the, the biggest mistakes that I made when I was a medical receptionist back in the dinosaurs were um, I discounted people's feelings. Um, so, you know, I was happy. I was good. You know, right. it was holy 100% of the time. So if you were having a rotten, rotten day and you came in, I would say, oh, hey, how are you doing? And would not expect an answer. And if you said, I'm having a horrible day, I'm like, okay, well, great. Can you sign in right there on number two? And it dawned on me that I'm not really listening. So what I learned to do, just like I would do on the phone, I would have my smile, be my 100% holy. And then when they would say, oh, you know, somebody, I just had a fender bender in the parking lot. I would stop and say, if this were me, how would I want someone to interact with me? Would I want them to be, you know, over conciliatory? Like, oh my God, I'm cold please. Or would I want someone to take a beat and say, I'm so sorry that happened to you. You know, let me see if I can get you through here faster so you can deal with what you need to deal with. So that compassionate part, um, although I was very good at my work, that compassion part took a little bit longer to learn. Um, because I'm a worker being, I just wanted to be happy and finished. Definitely um, we get kind of caught up in the, the steps yes. and kind of forget to incorporate your empathy and, you know, there's another human being across the desk and we right. have to be mindful of that. No, I definitely understand that. I know this sounds really simple, but when I was a practice manager, I was always talking, counseling, um, the front desk of how to take a good message. Over mm, and yes. over and yes. over. The who, what, when, where, why. I'd say, if you can get that, then you'll have a good message for someone. Because right. invariably there was a piece missing. And you have mm-hmm. the doctor saying, well, where's the phone number? Right, mm-hmm. right, right, right. <laughs> Who is this or person? What was so, the yeah. thing that you needed, right. With yeah. the email address. It'll be um, cbennett at, at what? 
at lunch, at work, at play, I mean, at Gmail. Yeah. But, you know, I, I get that because when all the lines are lit up and, and there's somebody at the window and, you know, baby's crying and it's almost lunchtime and you're like, okay, I'll tell her you call. Well, give her, tell her to email me. What's your email? I'm Steve Bennett. And you click, click, you know. And then I'm sitting there going, lucky I know who she is. Right. You know. Definitely. So we went to the old school dollar store, you know, carbon paper. Uh, you know, that ask who, <laughs> what, all the boxes. Mm-hmm. 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 So that we get a better message. Yeah, definitely. Message taking uh, is extremely important. And it also saves time, because especially if you're taking messages for your, like you said, the doctor mm-hmm. or a manager, it saves them a step. If I know what you need me to do when I'm calling someone back, it's not to continue asking them more questions. It's kind of like, okay, here's the solution, the answer, mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, what have you. So definitely, I, I agree with that. Um, you found that having greater transparency with your front desk has been helpful or harmful to your office? Meaning if there's big changes coming or mergers or, you know, anything of that, um, you know, capacity, have you been very transparent with them and found that that be helpful or do you find holding things back until maybe you know more information or how do, how do you guys view sharing information with the front desk? maybe more business related or you know, about the overall company that they work for. I think that the transparency has in all always been a good thing for my practice. Mm-hmm. However, the presentation, mm-hmm. how I present it to them is key. Mm-hmm. If I present it to them with uh, I, I'm not really sure on this, that sense gets passed on to them and then they're never quite sure about it. Right. So right. I think the presentation is key. I agree. Um, we uh, worked at a practice where the provider had contracted a terminal illness, and um, he shared that with me and asked me to kind of hold on to it for a while until he was ready to share it with everyone else. Um, and it was hard, you know, because I was not on 100 Coley. I was probably like 30% Coley. I'm in my office, and I'm a tearful mess, and they're like, oh my God, what's wrong? I'm like, oh gosh, we're canceling Taco Tuesday. You know, yeah. and they just couldn't wrap their minds around what was going on that was um, kind of brought all of the air out of the office and mm. kind of decompressed us. But what Ariel said is right. I had to figure out how I could take this very important information, you know, because when this provider um, retired, we had to close that practice. So that very important information and present it in a way that it wasn't like a juicy steak on a garbage can. Bro. You know what I mean? So so people were able to consume it. And when I had the opportunity just to kind of tell everybody what was going on, I gave them that time to kind of, you know, get used to that punch in the gut that, oh my gosh, and all the questions, are we losing our jobs tomorrow? What's going to happen to us? And, you know, how are we going to get a reference if something happens to him? All of those things I needed to work out before I presented it to them because I knew they would be thinking the same things I was, I was thinking. So I, I agree with Ariel, the, trans, the transparency is very important. However, you need to have all of your ducks in a row before you even begin to have that conversation. And I asked that question because I think it's important for uh, not only other managers, but our receptionists to understand why certain things happen the way they do and that everything isn't deceitful or you know you're being deceptive and you know mm-hmm. telling people things at the last minute mm-hmm. um there are reasons why sometimes we have to wait and mm-hmm. you know share information so i appreciate uh, your answers and i agree with that as well all right does anyone want to share a story about um how one of your medical receptionists or clerical staff were able to help during an emergency 
Well, one time, uh, the building was on fire. Mm-hmm. This okay. building right here. <laughs> the one yeah. we're in right we're now. We're safe that I was um, working in the front desk. This is actually when I first started. I was working mm-hmm. the front desk. Mm-hmm. And I just totally was in back office and it just smelled smoke. So I said, hmm, that doesn't smell right. Wow. So um, we had waiting room full of people, doctor oh, in there wow. with the patient. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, yeah, calmly. <laughs> Right. That's about as calm as he was in Iowa. <laughs> you know, you know, I have the half door of my office, and he's right. like, "Um, Miss Holden, you smell smoke." And I was like, "Mark, ain't nobody smelling that smoke." You know, I'm working, and then I said, "Oh, it is smoke. <laughs> Ooh, there must be a trash can or something on fire." And because mm-hmm. we're behavioral health, you know, little tiny things like that. <laughs> We we tend to look beyond. Okay, somebody set a trash can on fire. Put that a post-it note to make sure Doctor Fox told him about that. Right. But then it got to be like smoky, so we got to do our fire drill. We practice our fire drill once a quarter, you know, and it was uh, very interesting. Marcus did everything that he's supposed to do as office manager to clear the building out, including yelling at me and the doctor, get out. <laughs> Well, like I, I got one more sentence. He's like, "Get out the building, on fire!" <laughs> Which was so funny. We went to our designated spot by the light and could see the smoke up in the air. But the people in the suite next to us at the credit union, where the fire was directly over top of them, mm-hmm. did not. The fire department had to make them leave. And they came out. And they were looking at us like, "Why are you all standing over there by the pole? What you mean, like 500 feet away from the burning building?" Yeah, that's some OSHA stuff, girlfriend. I'm going to send you a memo tomorrow so you can get your staff together. Mm. But it was hilarious because they were like, why do we have to leave? Oh, wow. Flames. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, wow. it was a very interesting time. But Marcus did a tremendous job of um, that muscle memory of the, you know, bogus fire drill we do every quarter. Just kind of go out there and hang out and work on our fun things a little bit. But he, it really kicked in. And when I tell you, he cleared this building out, the bathroom, the server room. I mean, everybody was thrown out. So it was really good. And that's good because emergencies do happen. You know, we would hope that it's not, uh, this building's not on fire, but it happens. And, you know, there's other small scale things that happen, like toilets overflowing and other, you know, random things that happen that could happen in a home, happen in an office. And, you know, you have rooms full of patients and... Uh, or how about this? You know, I think everybody at this table's probably lived through this. The internet came down. Oh yeah. yeah. That's an emergency in itself. <laughs> kind of stops production like for a few minutes. Your fist out, like, what are you doing to right. me? You know. Looking well, for all the paper documents, like right on this. Right. <laughs> like we have to remember how we used to do this, for right? Sure. <laughs> And then you have to actually read the doctor's handwriting. Right. She's trying to remember now, this soap knit. What am I supposed to do? I'm like, right. oh, no, yeah. Somebody fix it. You know? Not fun. Not fun. Okay. So I'm going to go into see if anyone can give us a little pathway that they took to becoming a healthcare manager. Anybody willing to share that? I can tell you my pathway. <laughs> I think I told you my pathway in my podcast. I think I do know your pathway. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else got a pathway? I don't know your pathway. Well, my pathway was is, was a little accelerated, and um, I started out a front desk um, because uh, this particular provider said, "You really have this really great personality, and I want you because front desk people are the face of the practice. You're the first person 
the first interaction, because they want someone who's energetic, they want someone who's personable. Um, but what he didn't tell me is there was like 60 other things you had to do at one time, you know. Um, so I learned very quickly to multitask, um, and I was really good on the phones. I made people feel, you know, much better about their emergency situation. So I was a front desk for maybe 10 days, 12 days, um, then immediately, immediately got bumped up. Mm -hmm. um, and this particular doctor was growing. His practice was growing by leaps and bounds very quickly. And from uh, front desk, I went to um, back office. Um, back office was pretty easy because I worked in the emergency room before, so that, that went really well. And from there, I went to billing. Um, and so you learn the continuum, the whole thing, um, from the time the patient walks in the door until the time you send the claim and get the remit back. Billing, I love, you know, just in the room with peace and quiet and me and a bunch of numbers. Oh, I love that. Until they introduced me to Medicare. And then that changed my opinion. <laughs> Of billing, so it, you know, I actually had to take classes to understand Medicare speak. You know, they have that big dictionary, that glossary of their terms, and um, watched a lot of webinars, got up on that, and then I went from billing to the office manager. Um, and generally, in smaller practices, the biller is the office manager because you're the one who got your eye on the money. Um, so I also did uh, HIPAA officer, I was the OSHA girl, you know. Any kind of presentation, you give me three minutes, I'll talk you to death. Um, so it worked out really well with my personality type and my ability to retain information. Okay. Um, so I think for me, that complete circle, seeing it from, from when they walk in to when we post that last payment and do whatever write-off we're going to do, was invaluable. Because at that point, I knew the whole system. Yeah, right. And that helped you carry into where you are today. Right. And to pick a good place to land. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's very important. I'm going to first direct the next question to Irene and Becky because they're quiet over here. We're going to share. We're going to share the love here. So what has been the most helpful resource that has helped you um, have a successful career? Hey, okay. I went to their very first meeting down in uh, Pensacola, and I knew right away that this was just a really great organization, and it was small. But I followed PayPal through all the years, and it was wonderful to be able to have a question, pick up the phone, and you get your answer. Right. And the doctors saw the value in that. Wonderful. It's always important to stay current. And as members of PayCom, we know that as well. But like you mentioned, going to you know other conferences, webinars, things like that, and, and just meeting other people and kind of learning what they're what they do and how you know you can maybe incorporate that into your own every day. So, as administrators and managers, how do you keep yourself energized and motivated to do the work that you do every day? I deal with um, uh, the Atomicare office. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that kind of things have to do. Mm -hmm. So what we can motivate is um, I see my patients come in, they get healthy, go through a diabetes, they get attentive. Mm -hmm. um, we actually put them on, we have this um, medical home that works you know, with them. Mm -hmm. And we see patients who are like very high blood pressure now get maintained or better. So it keeps me uh, motivated to just, just do better for the people. Right. And, um, but for me, personally, I want to know a little bit more. I like more knowledge. I, I personally feel I don't know enough. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's always mm-hmm. more to learn. I, I feel like um, I'm a nurse. I got into the practice. I'm going back to the first question you answered. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thrown into it. My husband wanted to open a practice. I said, okay, I'll mm-hmm. help you. I'm a nurse. Mm-hmm. I can draw blood. Mm-hmm. I can yeah, yeah. That's all I wanted to do. Now, this is something, the office manager is something that I had to grow into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had to learn a whole lot of stuff. Right. And I still feel like I don't have enough, but we're moving successfully every year. Mm-hmm. So something must, I must have done something wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's been a, uh, a lot of learning experience. But I, I talked to my husband the other day, I was like, I think you don't hire an office manager. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. But um, he thinks I'm doing a good job, but I just feel like this is it is a lot. Yeah, I can imagine. Well that that's that's amazing, uh, how you got into it as well. That's talk about communication between our front desk front desk and providers. Have you experienced any issues between your front desk and providers and you know, how did you deal with that? Were you able to improve it? I think sometimes, um, it seems like they're speaking two different languages, um, not in words, but in, in just the translation of those words. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes providers can be a little abrupt and where front desk people are trained to to not be abrupt, they find that kind of rude. Like, she just came up here and snapped on me and I'm like, well, she didn't snap on you. You know, she's got a schizophrenic guy in the back that she's got to resolve mm-hmm. and you're asking her about paper or paper right. clips or you know, call your mom back. So right. when you think of it as kind of as a global issue, mm-hmm. it kind of brings it home. So one of the things that I like to work on with front desk personnel is for them to understand not just their position, but what everybody else in the continuum does. And that kind of brings the communication gap a little bit closer. So when you see a doctor who's not engaged while you're talking to them, they're not being rude to you. They're maybe sending someone's medication or answering a question for, for a patient. Those type of things work. Now, on the other end, um, some providers find the front desk people just, you know, not genuine. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, she's always like, that. well, that's really who she is. I mean, she's really just a happy person. Or he's just really very bouncy. When we first got Marcus, we had this thing about popping over the counter. And um, <laughs> we, we had a security door. And the security door would lock. And sometimes he'd be on the wrong side of the security door with no one to buzz him back in. Um, so he would just leap across through the window. Do you remember that? Yes. He's super bouncy. <laughs> yeah, he had in my office. Um, it went up at the beginning of the year. And my boss, um, well, the CEO, she was on vacation. Mm-hmm. And I was not about to call her to say, hey, can you... You know, give me a battery socket. <laughs> teach me how to unlock this keypad and stuff. No, so just open funny. up the waiting room, climb through the window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Put some tape on the door. And, you know, as compliance, I have an issue with all of that. Right. But, you know, that whole all statement is that night. But Marcus is a compliance officer's nightmare. He really is because he thinks outside of the box in a way where he's not, you know, he's a jumper and not really worried about where he lands. Um, so from a compliance standpoint, I'm like, oh my God. But from a person who works with Marcus, like we're all locked out. Yeah, Marcus, jump through the window. <laughs> you know, and like, like, but it, it works really well when everyone knows what the next step is. When everyone knows, you know, um, Coley's head is at her computer. 
you know, all five of my screens are lit up and I'm working, the, the half door is open. So you can still talk to me and I may not stop what I'm doing and give you my full attention unless you, you know, say Marcus just jumped through the window um, and then you'll get my definite full attention. But some things I'm not going to be able to stop doing to to listen to your lunch beef with the other girl, you know. So understanding that just because your workday has a certain pace to it, not everybody works on that same pace. And the level of respect has got to be high across the board, regardless of the letters behind your name. For some of us who have no letters behind your name, we are all human beings and we all want to do, as you one day said, the right thing for our patients. So there's got to be a level of respect that's mutual. Definitely, definitely. I agree with that. And um, so in speaking about our clinical providers, um, sometimes they may not treat your employees very respectful or even professionally. You know, they may speak to them in a way that you would not speak to them yourself, you know. And, you know, if you receive a complaint for your staff, and this question is definitely as an advice to our administrators and managers listening, how do you advise your staff uh, in the future and how do you handle that with the physician or the, you know, the provider themselves? I, I would tell the staff to try to put themselves in the physician's place, mm -hmm. that you don't know what he just encountered five minutes before he walked over to you and was brisk with you or snapped at you or your feelings mm -hmm. and try to keep it professional on your part. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Mm -hmm. um, I guess it depends on. Have you ever had to address that with the provider yes. himself? Yes. And what, did you feel it was successful? No. Receptive? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, sometimes, but um, a lot of times. No. Right? Because their mind is somewhere else. Mm -hmm. We've actually had to let go of a couple of providers, um, which is always interesting from a compliance standpoint. Um, they're always so shocked. They're like, holy, I thought we were good. We, we are good. But, you know, people don't like you. And, and, and that's very honest, especially in, in behavioral health. There's got to be a level of trust that you're going to do your part and I'm going to do my part and this person's going to get better and grow out of the practice or we're going to get them stable enough so that they're not a danger to themselves or someone else in the community. And this particular provider had... Um, a real issue with poor people, which is unfortunate um, because, you know, most of our clients are poor. Um, not very, very poor, but, you know, they're not Bethesda worthy. You know, for people who live in Maryland, you know, they're not bringing home $500,000 a year. So she had an issue with the way that they spoke to her. Um, they were very direct with her, and she did not like that. Um, she didn't like when... Uh, Marcus or someone would buzz her when she's in the middle of a, a session and she was going too long. Um, so she had a lot of gripes. And as compliance, I'm, I'm gripes and people complain to you. And that's one of the things that compliance officers do. I'll listen to you complain, but what I'm actually wanting to hear from you is what the real problem is. It's usually a lot of emotion, a lot of emotion, a lot of emotion. And I don't want it, people interrupting me when I'm with a, a patient. And then on the flip side of that, it would be the person who's working the front desk a lot of emotion, a lot of emotion, a lot of emotion. And then they'll say, I need her to stay on time because people are screaming at me because she's an hour late. So those are two very common problems in most medical offices when the schedule right. goes awry. So who's right? Who's wrong? Right. That's not for me to decide. I'm fixing it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so listen, if you want to spend an hour with somebody who's a stable patient, I need you to do it at the end of your schedule when only you are affected. Because I've got a waiting room full of people who showed up on time. Their time is just as valuable as ours. And we have got to be respectful of that. And that is my go-to speech with providers who, you know, take too long. And my speech to the front desk person is they're doing the best they can. You know what it's like when the little short bus pulls up out in front and everybody piles out and wants to sign in at the same time, but they have new insurance or a new ID or they're on this new medication and you're super busy and they have to wait. So use that same speech. Um, Sometimes it gets to a point where the providers become um, tone deaf to that and they still want to do what they want to do. The way our company is structured, our CEO um, is the boss definitively it's her her practice um i am number two the beautiful thing in being her number two is she doesn't want to be number one (laughs) (laughs) so that works out really well for me when people are acting out um so i i have the ability to sit down with anybody in the company and tell them that they're underperforming um and you know me that's not a conversation i relish having um but if i have that conversation with you it's because i have some empirical data that says this is where you were last year, here you are now, there's a big gap, tell me what happened. And if the answer to that is, well, I don't like the girl in the front or, you know, Marcus is bouncing through windows and it's making me a little nutso, that doesn't work. You know, we all have to perform um, and do our jobs. Um, and if we could all do it nicely, but when you're rude and you're not performing, yeah. It brings the morale down also. Absolutely. And it's- like you said, it, when you had that sad situation, it sucked the air out of the room. That, that kind of negativity does the same thing. Yeah. So we're going to come into our last question. Uh, what trends or changes in healthcare do you think that private practices or I won't even say smaller groups because some of you guys are larger groups, uh, but you know, in healthcare should be focusing on the rest of 2019 and into 2020. Yeah, the medical field is always evolving and there's so many forms we need to pull out and things we need to do and in spite of all of that i still 100 percent think the focus needs to be on taking care of our patients and that is what i stress to all of the staff and that is the most important thing will always be in my heart my staff's heart and my physician's heart and by doing that we can make it Absolutely. I agree. Um, CMS has their Patients Over Paperwork mm-hmm. program that um, not quite as eloquently <laughs> as my lovely <laughs> vice yes. president has said. Uh, um, but that's true. You know, when Medicare, one of the biggest paper wasters on the planet, says to you, we want to put patients in front of all of this administrative burden, it makes my ears perk up. So I've attended all of their webinars. And they're very serious. They're they're thinking about condensing the E&M code um, so that you know we don't have five different choices. You've got two choices. So it makes it easier for the doctors, you know. But you know, from the billing standpoint, when they say re- squish an E and M code, that means they're going to squish some payments. So you know, we're still left figuring out how we're going to make that work. But the administrative side of that is what takes us away from doing what Ariel said, from caring for our patients when 
we know we've got to get a prior authorization for the appointment, get a prior authorization for their medication, and get all of that done before they walk out of the door at that seven and eight minute appointment that they spent with the doctor. And that is where I think a lot of medical practices either sink or swim based on the strength of your admin staff. That's where you sink or swim. Because if you can't keep up with, you know, what Medicare has planned for you now or what the office of the inspector general has in their work plan for the year, for this year, how can you be prepared for 2020? Right. You know, so it's, it's a ever changing kind of a snowball effect that happens with some of the larger insurance companies. Um, and really and truly, isn't that who we want to take care of? Our old, our infirm, that's really what we're in the business of medicine for. So there's definitely a, a, a reason, a heart reason to do it. But if we can kind of focus on patients first, it makes it much easier for everybody on the staff. I agree. And I think that was a wonderful, informative session. I thank you all for sharing with us today. And again, I'm here in Maryland with the Rockville Paycom chapter. I will include all their information in our notes. And thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Medical Receptionist Network podcast show. Don't forget to visit our website, medicalreceptionistnetwork.com, and subscribe to our newsletter. If you're looking for a great resource for medical receptionists, make sure you grab your copy of the Medical Receptionist Handbook to Success available on Amazon. Lastly, if you have not subscribed to this podcast, please find us on your favorite podcast player and subscribe today. Until next time, keep being amazing.